They are uh, just mere hours away from Christ being offered up as the sacrifice for our sin on Calvary. We are in the evening hours where the dawn will find the Son of God standing before those who would falsely accuse him, facing the day against the Roman ruler who would finally pass judgment and have him crucified playing right into the hand of God the Father who purposed before the foundation of the world that a lamb would be slain for the sins of all mankind. And so we find ourselves here back in chapter number 11, and we'll refer to some other things uh, within this message. But if you recall, first evening that we spent together on Wednesday, we, we discussed the washing of the disciples' feet in the first parts of this chapter. We'll move down now and we'll begin reading verse number 11. We will read John chapter 13, verse 11, and then we'll skip down to verse number 18. Uh, if you're there, say amen. amen. For he knew who should betray him, Jesus that is. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Look at verse number 18. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily. Listen, listen to me now, he says. Listen to what I'm saying. I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him, that's the Father, that sent me. And when Jesus, verse 21, had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, there it is again, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom he loved. You Bible scholars know that's John himself, the writer of this gospel, never speaking to him, of himself pridefully in the first person, but always as that one disciple or that disciple that Jesus loved. Look at it now in verse 24. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask, ask, who, ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it. When he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Now pause. Look over in verse number 2. This is very important. Chronologically, we must look at the Bible at importance. Look at verse number 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That's a different statement than verse 27 back there. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, Thou that doest, do quickly. Now, now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this 
unto him. For some thought, uh, some of them thought because Judas had the bag, he had the money, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things which you had need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Bad chance of that. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Lord Jesus, these words are heavy. They are somber. But these are the words that you've given by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is your word. This is your message today that you've assigned to me, Lord. This is your Bible we're reading. This is your church we are gathered with. This is your air that we're breathing. I pray, God, that all things would be done to please you and that the word of God would do nothing but show us Christ. And also, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, we would see in its mirror image, God, who we really are. Father, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. Speak to hearts as only the Spirit of God can. Show us who we are in this message, I pray. Save the lost today. Let the convicting power of the Holy Ghost work right now in those who have never called upon you for salvation, have never trusted you, have never repented of their sins, and called upon the name of the Lord, putting their full and total belief upon you. Let it be so, Lord, according to your will, in Jesus' name. God's people said... Man, the four Gospels all give somewhat of an account of what we're reading today. I mentioned at another time in the services that we've shared that the length that John gives, five full chapters to the upper room experience on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, is massive compared to the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those synoptic Gospels. Matthew's account only gives 19 total verses to this whole time of experience. Mark's is even less. It's 15 verses. <laughs> These gospels. It's, it's interesting how God uses the Holy Spirit and, and kind of gives us a, a, a human personality with them. I like to refer to Mark's gospel as the husband's gospel. You know, Luke's is a lot more descriptive. There's a lot more detail. There's a lot more storyline there. Not Mark. Mark. Jesus was born. Born a virgin. Here he is. Now he's ministering. Yep. Calls his disciples. Uh-huh. Fights with the Pharisees. Yep. Then they crucify him. Rose again. All right. That's it. That's a man's gospel. That's it. That's like to the point. Fastball down the middle. No fluff. That's Mark. 15 verses he gives of this whole upper room experience. Luke's is a little bit more. Luke 22, verse 1 through 38. He gives us actually 38 verses. But John gives us insight. And if we work to... And I do this in my study, especially with these Gospels. I try to harmonize the timelines based on the scripture that is given there. And there is some, there's some timeline here to consider. And I mean, that's why I mentioned in verse number two that, that Satan had put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. But it was not until he took that final step that Satan entered into him in possession in order to accomplish the betrayal of Christ. But I want you to see today in this message, in these next few little moments, and don't worry about the time, don't worry about the lunch. You don't have a gigantic clock in the back, but I've got a big old clock right here, so don't worry. I know that I'm the only thing that stands between you and fried chicken. But think on this thought today. Join me as we look into this word as we think on this thought. Three that could be. Three that could be. So as we look into these, let me give you the three that could be. First of all, let's just say, let's call the first of the three the possible. The possible. And that would be any of the 12. 
any of the 12, the possible. Secondly, the son of perdition, Judas. Well, Brother Adam, well, he went ahead and did it. Well, yeah, but just hang around a minute. So there's the possible, then there's the son of perdition, Judas, and then there is the one with personal relationship. I'm speaking of John. John, the writer of our gospel today. John, the beloved. So those are the three that could be. Any of our possible, the son of perdition, and the one with personal relationship with Jesus. A closeness. Let's look, uh, let's look at our, 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 our term here that, that the Bible uses. He knows who would betray him. Well, what is betrayal? We know that in practical sense. But by definition, it is to deliver into the hands of an enemy. Treasonous. It'd be by, uh, by, by treachery or by fraud in violation of trust or unfaithfulness to mislead or to deceive is what it means to betray. And Jesus Christ knew that one would betray him in a specific way. All of us are capable. Some of us are complicit by allowing sin, pandering to sin, bowing to sin, cooperating with sin, compromising, and just being flat out carnal. There are different ways to betray. So let's look at these three that would be. If you're with me, say amen this morning. Amen. Now, some of y'all haven't been here all week. I told those that the first week I was born and raised in Alabama. And here's the kind of rule of thumb there. For every eight amens you give me, I cut five minutes off. Isn't that right, Brother Eugene? That's right, amen. All right, so let's look at the possible first. Let's look even, the, we know Judas is the one, but let's, so then let's look at the 11. Let's just consider the 11. And you say, Brother Adam, it couldn't be because you, hang on. Do you know what's going to happen in the next hour? Do you know what decisions you will be faced with tomorrow? You don't know. God knows everything, but we don't. He gives us the free will to choose to follow him or to walk away. He gives us the free will to choose holiness or sinfulness. He gives us the free will to choose salvation or not. And so these 11, we find some things here that are concerning to them. They, they, are, they are wondering, and if you look at those other three Gospels in your own study, you will find that they think that it could be them. Our passage today said they were concerned and they questioned among themselves who it could be. And in the other three Gospels, it says, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me who could betray Christ? Their doubts and their questions abounded. They had no confidence even in the others who sat around the, the table that night. They were a suspicious bunch. And in this, part, in this particular scene, they are a scared group. They wondered if they themselves would do wrong. Oh, Brother Adam, surely not. Well, maybe. When Philip was first introduced to Jesus, he said, Is there any good thing that can come out of Nazareth? And when Jesus put him to the question of how we're going to feed 5,000, he didn't have an answer. And in fact, he said, Jesus, there ain't no way. Thomas doubted. James and John's mother overstepped her bounds and said, now, Lord Jesus, now let me just make a little 
Father, let me just let me say here, Jesus, you know my boys, James and John, double-loving. And all I'm asking is, if, if you, I don't think it's too much, it's a mother's love, and you know how this is. But if one of my boys can sit on one side of you, and one of my boys can sit on the other side of you, and that's all I'm asking. Now, why do you think supper went that night around the old supper table with the other one? They were always questioning. There was always positioning. There was posturing. There was one who wanted to sit near him and one who maybe didn't get to and one who sat far away. Any of those 11 could be. And all of them at some time or another, Jesus said, either had little or no faith. He said, where is your faith? He said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. These are men who were not quite where they needed to be. And let me tell you, it was possible for any of them to betray Christ. Oh, say with me now. Peter, let's focus on Peter. We know that in the upper part of chapter number 13, Peter said, uh, Lord, you ain't going to wash my feet. I need to wash your feet. Peter, you don't know. You, if, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with it. Well, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Wash me all over. He's bossing God around. He's, he's telling Jesus what he doubts and he questions. And he even rebukes the Savior on numerous occasions that we can see. But Jesus lets Peter know before the sun comes, before the, the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Not me, Lord. I'll go to the death with you. I'll go to prison with you. Is that right? Satan hath sought to sift you. It's possible, Peter. It's possible. Well, turns out in chapter number 18, we won't go there, but mark it in your notes. Chapter number 18, after they have all scattered in the garden, every one of them in the garden gets in me. It said they all forsook him and ran. That's a form of betrayal. John the Beloved, the account tells us, and Peter followed Jesus to Caiaphas' house. And he's coming into the hall. And, and, and John's got an inroad. And John gets in. He says, come on, come on. We're going in. We're going in. Well, Peter can't stand it. So he goes over off to the side around the fire where there's a bunch of Jews who hate Jesus. And a little girl, a little girl says, I know you. You're one of them. You're with Jesus. Uh-uh. Shut up, little girl. You don't know nothing. You don't know me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You talk like a Galilean. You're one of his. No, 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 no. I don't know the guy. And then some man says, that's right. You cut my brother's ear off in that garden. And Peter goes, blankety blank. I don't know the blank guy. Curse is Jesus. Curse is Jesus. See, Peter was like a lot of people that I know. When they're in the church house, when it's in the revival meeting, when it's at the youth meeting, when it's a place where it's comfortable, when a place where it's secure, when it's a place where we're all together in one accord, it's easy to stand and say, oh, how I love Jesus. I'll go with you, Lord. That's who Peter was. But when he got out into the public, it was about his own self-preservation, his own reputation, his own well-being. And for the price of preservation of his self-image, he betrayed Christ. 
Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel says that that cock crowed and he looked and he caught the gaze of Jesus who was looking at him knowingly. And Matthew went out and wept bitterly because he knew that he had betrayed Christ in that moment. Oh, it's possible. It's possible. They all forsook him and fled. Oh, no, not me. Not me. Well, well, well. Let me give you a, a reference that might help with Paul's writings in the book of Romans, chapter number 7. Romans 7, verse number 15 through 20 says this. Now listen, this is Paul, the apostle, the greatest preacher this side of Calvary who is saying this. He says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, that I do not. For what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, can, I consent that the law is good, it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. And the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's the Apostle Paul who says, I want to do great things for the Lord, but I fall short. And the things which I prohibit in my life by my standards and character, I end up doing those things. I fail. I fall short. And in a sense, I betray the faith that I have in Christ. That's Paul. The writer of 14 books of the New Testament. It's a shocking statement, but I tell you what it does. It gives me hope that if Paul has the same struggles as I do, if Paul, the greatest preacher this side of Calvary, finds it difficult to do the things that his spirit and soul really wants to do, if he still has to fight the old wicked flesh, that gives me hope that though I may fail, I'm not alone. That there's one who's ready to forgive. We must move quickly from the possible to the son of perdition. Where those 11 would be concerned, Judas Iscariot, Iscariot being ascribed to the region in which he came from. Judas was not concerned. He was calloused. He was calloused. If we go back through all the gospel accounts, Judas is never noted as calling Jesus Lord. He always calls him Master. Well, that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. Master, which is the greatest of the commandments. That's what the Pharisees did. They called him teacher. They called him master. That's what G Judas called him. Judas never is recorded to have called him Lord. He, we, we find Peter in all his problems, but Judas had a different problem. Judas, which betrayed him in Matthew's account, Matthew 26, and says, Master, is it I? Jesus says, Thou sayest. Thou sayest. But here's what we find in John's account. The other 11 never suspected Judas. They never suspected Judas. Even when Jesus made the statement, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? They never looked at Judas. They never suspected Judas. Judas was treated no differently by Jesus. 
Jesus washed Judas's feet along with the other 11. He treated him graciously. He treated him mercifully. He treated him like no, with no difference to the others right up until the moment of his final betrayal. Dr. Dean Weaver, who wrote a, a great little book on acquainting ourselves with the apostles, he says that Jesus did not choose Judas to be a betrayer. He chose him to be in a disciple. And he's listed in the New Testament according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as an apostle. Mm. But see, Judas's betrayal was privately already determined. He had already planned to betray Judas, uh, to betray Jesus. It's interesting. When he comes to the garden in Matthew's account, chapter 26, he tells the soldiers, he says, the one whom I go up and give a, a kiss of hospitality, that's the one that you're after. Why would he have to do that? It was dark. It's in the dark. They might just see figures. They might grab the wrong guy. But he said, the one that I'll kiss in betrayal. When Peter first is called in the discussion there. I don't think Peter is the call, but Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church. Peter voices a, an objection to his crucifixion. What does Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, who would become the pastor of the first New Testament church of Jerusalem, he called, get thee behind me, Satan. But when Judas betrayed him with a kiss, he says, friend? Friend? Why? If, if Peter's betrayal was about personal preservation and reputational preparation, Judas's betrayal was about personal profit. He betrayed Jesus not for a position in the Pharisaical line. He was outside of that. He did it for money. 30 pieces of silver, just the price of a slave. He did it privately. I'm going to turn back to John chapter number 12, verse 4 and 5. Look at this. Then saith one of the, his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This is where Mary comes in, brings in that alabaster box, breaks it open, anoints Jesus in preparation for his burial, gets down on the ground and washes his feet with her tears and dries his feet with her hair. How is Judas marked here? By criticizing worship in deference for money. I'd be careful. I'd be very careful of being critical of people who outwardly worship God. It's a sign of those who are not walking with God. This is what Judas did. Do you want to have the characteristics of Judas to characterize the worship of one? The outward display of worship, which is a crucifixion of the flesh, to crucify the flesh, to embarrass the flesh. This is what Judas was doing. He was for money, for, for, for envy. He went. He said, I can't handle any more of this. I, 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 if you'll get, he's, he's wasting this money and I can't stand it. And he goes to the Pharisees where he can get more money. See, he had a price. 
He had a price that where he could be bought. Now, when this was all over in Matthew 27, listen to me now. When Jesus uh, is being uh, taken to the trial, Matthew 27's account says of Judas that he repented himself. He repented of himself. He felt guilty. He felt condemned. He knew that he had done badly. He knew that he had done wrong. And he speaks and he says, I have, I have betrayed the innocent blood. And the Pharisee says, oh, you, you, you take care of that. That's up to you, man. And he wants to give back the money. He said, no, 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 no. That's blood money. Mm-mm, that's yours. You, you made your bed, lie in it. You know what they were done with? They were done with Judas. And you know what he, who else was done with him? Satan. Satan was done with him, and the Pharisees were done with it. Listen to me, young and old. The world will convince you that you want something that your flesh wants. They will, they will offer something. What is your price? What is your 30 pieces of silver? But I'm telling you, when you get it, they'll be done with you. The enemy will be done with you. Those who lured you into the far country, those who lured you into sin, they will be done with you. And you'll find yourself just like Judas. Except that Judas did not repent unto God. He did not find Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I repented. No, he just felt bad about it. He didn't make himself right with God. He went out and hanged himself. The grief was so great. Oh, there's three that could be. Judas, the calloused one, he had a price to betray Jesus. What's your price? Pause here. What's your price? Is it money? Is it acceptance? Is it followers and likes? What will you do? We're seeing a generation of young people right now, and not just young people, you know, chrome people like me, who will do things that they never would have even considered in order to build a following on social media. Will compromise ways that they thought they would never even consider in order to be liked and accepted, loved. I'll tell you what happens a lot of times. A young lady, a young man will be raised right, raised under the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, raised in church, raised under Bible principles, and then all of a sudden, a fluttering of eyelids, a sweet word spoken, a price is offered for purity. And the 30 pieces of chipped silver exchanges hands for a boy or for a girl. And let's just not be too high on our horse here. Let's just go ahead and hang up our halos, old codgers. Because I know enough 65-year-old men who have walked away from 40-year marriages, left behind kids and grandkids for some little trollop Jezebel who spoke sweetly to them. I'm driving to their house. So let's not be so hard on the teenagers. I mean, y'all are bad enough. I mean, you know, I didn't pick them up. But scientifically speaking, your brain is not fully developed until you're 27. So medically speaking, you're stupid. I'm just saying, I love you, but I mean, you've got to, I can't let you off the hook completely. But everyone has a price. You don't believe it? Look around. Ask yourself, what is the price? Finally, the three that could be, the 11 that were possible, Judas, the son of perdition. But then we find John, 
the one who had a personal relationship with Jesus. The personal one. He's confident. In our reading today in John chapter number 13, he does not say, who is it me, Lord? He does not say unto his Savior, is it me? He doesn't even consider the possibility that it is him. He said, who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? <laughs> He's not known as the beloved for nothing. He is close with Christ. John had no intentions. John had no plan to betray Jesus. John had nothing in his heart that would even consider the thought of betraying Jesus in any way. He's called the beloved for a good reason. I said he is, he, is, uh, he, he is always seen close to Jesus. He leaned in close to speak with Jesus. He got close to his family. When he leaned in upon his chest, he is saying there and privately, Lord, who is it? He was the one who was close. Why else would Peter say, you ask him? He hates it when I ask questions. He always says, I'm stupid. You ask him. <laughs> He, he, he likes you. Ask him, ask him, ask him. God forbid, God forbid I'd have to be in such a state that I'd have to ask somebody else to ask Jesus for me. But not John. John had access to Jesus that others did not enjoy. It's why? Because they didn't seek it. They didn't come near to him like John did. They didn't seek his favor like John. They didn't completely obey him like John did. He had grown from a brash young man. He had grown from a man with big words and, and, and a place of immaturity. Let me exemplify that for you in Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9 verse 49 reads this way. Luke 49, uh, Luke uh, 10, I'm sorry, 9, 49. It says this, and John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him. Because he followeth not with us. Jesus said, for, for, forbid him not. For he that is not against us is for us. So settle, settle down, John. It'll be okay. We can't be mad at everybody just because they're not just walking right with us. And then and it comes to pass in verse 51. And when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Sent messengers before his face. And they went, entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as the last did? And Jesus said, oh, slow down. Slow your roll, pal. We're not here to burn everybody up. He turned and rebuked him and said, you don't know what manner you, you speak of, John. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. John had all this zeal. John had all this, I mean, vim and vigor. And John was just full of, he was just wanting to charge hell with a water pistol. I mean, he was ready, man. And he had learned over time. His closeness with the Lord had really settled him into a place where it's not some fiery, youthful exuberance, but it was a personal relationship. With Christ. He, he was one of those three who got to go see things that others didn't. Peter, James, and John. John was there at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was lifted up in glory and talking with Moses and Elijah. John was there closer to him in the garden when those three came closer as Jesus went just a little farther to pray. He stayed close to him in the trial time. He stayed close to him all the way to the cross. 
and they're comforting those women who were around the cross. When it was noised by Mary that the tomb was empty, John ran to the empty tomb to see and to look inside. And when Peter said, I go a-fishing, and he took all those others with him. By the way, John went with Peter when they went back to the old haunts. And when Jesus was walking on the shoreline that morning in John chapter number 21, and they're out there fishing all night. Children, have you any meat? Jesus' voice probably didn't crackle like that. but The Bible says that John said, that's him. He couldn't see him all the way, but he knew his voice. He knew his voice. He knew his voice. Isn't it amazing when a new baby comes and the mother has been sitting there speaking? You know, right? I'm not asking you. Well, maybe I kind of am. Well, I won't just say to you about how many, how many of you daddies got down to the bed and said, I know it's daddy. <laughs> He's a little baby. Go see you some later. Just me? Okay. Isn't it amazing when that baby comes forth and knows nothing of the world that's around it? When they hear a familiar voice. Oh, there's a closeness there. That's what John and Jesus had. And because of that closeness, John had no intentions. No intentions of betraying his Christ. None. Which of the three might you be? Which of the three could I be? Which of the three? The 12? Possible for every one of them. I'd love to go deeper on Judas, but I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from that. Here's how I'll just summarize that. And Dr. Nichols, I welcome your correction. I believe Jesus gave three opportunities to Judas to keep from betraying him. First of all, it was the washing of the feet. Humility in the face of betrayal. I believe it was the announcement, one will betray me. I believe that was opportunity number two. Without singling him out, without looking at him, without going... And I believe thirdly and lastly it was whoever takes the sob. He didn't have to take the sob. I know according to the scriptures there would be one. But I, there's just something in me that wants to believe that Judas could have said stop, stop everything, stop everything. Jesus, I want to confess you something. I plan to do. In fact, there's a trap that's laid for you. And I made a big mistake. But I'm not going to carry through with it. It'll have to be somebody else that betrays you. And you say, Brother Adam, it's borderline blasphemy. Let me ask you a question. Any of y'all ever seen somebody who's committed heinous crime get saved? Anybody, anybody ever seen a drug addict get delivered? Any of y'all ever seen an alcoholic put down the bottle because God saved him? You know who those people are? Those are the people that everybody else gave up on, but God didn't. Those are the people who live in the filth of this world, but God did not give up on them. I'm telling you today, the grace of God and the mercy of God is available to all. Amen. Amen. God 
God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I can't tell you what would have happened scripturally after that, but I do know this. Jesus gave Judas every opportunity not to betray him, even though he had planned to. Judas, here's the thing. Judas was carnal. Judas had a price. But here's the thing. Judas had already planned to. We travel all over the country, every week of the world. My girls, my teenage daughter, 20-year-old, good Lord, help me this year, 20-year-old daughter. And a 16-year-old daughter. I need prayer. There's prayer cards out there on the table. Please take one and say, pray Brother Adam, two days ago. And they know a lot of people around the country. A lot of people their age, a lot of young people. And they say, Daddy, you know brother so-and-so in Tennessee? Yeah. Man, his daughter's what? She's out there. Does he know? She's putting it out there. Pictures, plans. But then there's some that are still hiding in the shadows. Daddy, you know, she's already said when she gets out of the house, she's she's not going to come to church anymore. She's already planned it. She's going to trade your journey. She, her mom and dad have had a, a dress standard for her. And she says the minute that she gets out, as soon as she can get a job and get her own place, nobody's going to tell her how to dress. And she's going to start wearing this and that. Already got a plan. My boyfriend says as soon as he can get a job, we're going to move out and we're just going to, we're going to do what we want to do. My girlfriend says she'll love me forever. <laughs> And there's already a plan in place. That's not just for kids. It's not just for teenagers. There's a lot of people my age who are planning to do wrong. It's possible for all of us, but there's some that's got a plan. But there's others that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who are not trying to live carnal, but they're living committed They're not wondering, concerned, biting their nails. Am I going to fail the Lord? You probably will at some point. That he had purposed intentionally not to betray the Lord Jesus. John. Now, listen. I don't know which one of those three you could be. But let me just tell you, you could be any of those three. You could be one that's wondering. You could be one that's already purposed. And you could be one with no intentions to. But let me remind you. Don't, let's, 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 don't, let's don't be too confident in it. Let's, let's don't get too comfortable with the idea. Let's don't get, develop a pride of our love for the Lord Jesus. Because I remind you, John went with Peter a fishing. <coughs> you can never let your guard down. You can never, you, you can never let your guard down because the enemy never sleeps. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is always plotting and planning. He's always preparing a price to buy you. He's always providing an opportunity for you and I to stumble. He's always given a place where you can fail and betray the Lord Jesus. He's got as many minions and workers out there in this world who are seeking to devour the children of God and ruin a testimony if he cannot get their soul. He's there to destroy families. He's there to destroy relationships. He's there to destroy witnesses. Your enemy possible but the purpose can never let your guard down we might be like Peter 
and have a, a revival resolution, a revival resolve. We come to the altar and we say, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll live for you. I'll do for you. I'll give for you, Lord. And before we get to the highway, the world's music is back in our ears and the world's entertainment is before us and the, the world's wares are being peddled into us. We can have a, a crisis commitment. Oh, Lord, if you'll heal them, I'll do anything. I'll go to Zimbabwe. We can have a peer pressured promise. I know a lot of young people. I know a lot of people my age who went with a youth group to the altar when they were a teenager because everybody else was going. And they shook their head. You know, that's what everybody said. You trust the Lord? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, you believe in the Lord? You ask the truth? Yeah, yeah, sure. What? Yeah. Everybody else is doing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. And there's no change. And there's no conviction. And there's no personal relationship with Christ. I don't know which of the three you could be. But I'll remind you what Peter said, 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse 17. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I tell you what I'd like to do today. I'd like to, I'd like to pray a prayer of prevention. A prayer of intention. Brother Eugene, I've I've failed the Lord enough. I have found myself on my knees at the end of a day when I started a day at, at daylight saying, Lord, I want to live for you today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, not to stumble and fall. Too many times day after day, at the end of the day, in the middle of the day, I have to stop and say, Lord, I failed again. Man, I intended to do and I didn't. I intended not to and I did so these days, I greet my days with this prayer, Lord. It is not my intention to fail you. It's not my intention, Lord, to betray you. I'm still in this old wicked flesh that fights against the Spirit. It's not my intention to fail you. Which of the three are you? Is it possible for all of us? Absolutely. On my list of prodigals that I told you about the other night back here, there is a whole section from there to there. There. That are all prodigal preachers who once pastored, who now sing in honky-tonks, who once served in churches, left their young families and have remarried a harlot. They're one who struggled privately with alcohol and has lost his entire ministry and family. They're one who left a wife of 45 years for a woman 22 years his younger. There and 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 there. The children of preachers bitter at God walked away from the church. Don't think it cannot happen to you. It can happen to me. 
I promise you the devil's got a target on my back. And if you're not concerned about you and yours, I'm begging you to pray for me. I'm begging you to pray for me and my kids. Because it could be. But I don't want it to be.